Thanks for our readings, Liz. How's it going, EC? Good to see you all. Well, have you ever felt forgotten? Uh, this past week, I've been reading the book uh, Toy Story 1 and 2 to uh, my four-year-old Archie. It's wonderful graduating from Spot, the dog. And uh, we've been, he's been enjoying it. And there's a line in the second book, uh, it's quite a sad line, uh, where one of the toys is reflecting, you never forget kids like Emily or Andy, but they forget you. And for my four-year-old, it was a bit of a profound moment. Uh, but it was enough to remind me of uh, another occasion, not that long ago, where I forgot to pack one of Archie's favourite toys for preschool. Uh, here he is, Squishmallow. And did I hear about it later? He was distraught when he got home, telling his mum what dad had done, uh, because Squishmallow turns out to also be his pillow at nap time as well. Uh, but more than that too, Archie was distraught because he's forgotten, his friend was forgotten and he knows what could be worse than feeling forgotten. Well, this week we remember as a nation Anzac Day on Tuesday. Uh, I remember partly because it's a day before my wedding anniversary to Jess, uh, which I must admit is a very helpful reminder every year, never forget uh, because it does feel terrible, doesn't it, on a special day, a birthday, an anniversary, uh, to get forgotten by someone you love. And how much more so those who gave their lives, their all, in sacrifice for their country to be forgotten. Uh, yesterday I was speaking to my dad and I asked him, did any of our relatives serve in the world wars? And he reminded me, Fred Pennington, my uh, mum's great, uh, sorry, my great-grandfather on mum's side, uh, he was a signal man. And what that meant was during World War I, uh, when the armistice uh, came through, that was announcing the end of the war in 1918, he was the man in his division who first picked up that great message. Well, what could be worse than forgetting those who gave everything when we ourselves have gained so much in return? Uh, tonight, the big question as we come to the next two chapters in Exodus is this, it's where is God when you feel forgotten? And these next two chapters help to show us that God hasn't forgotten Moses, God hasn't forgotten His people, and God certainly hasn't forgotten His covenant promises. In fact, even when God's people feel forgotten, whether old covenant or new covenant, in a sentence we'll see tonight... God is at work through His servant to deliver His children into their promised inheritance. So, if you're taking notes, uh, where is God when you feel forgotten? Point one, God is dangerously close. And that's going to be our longest point. Point two, God is making Himself known. A little bit shorter. And then briefly, point three, God is acting in unexpected ways. We'll have a bit of application throughout, but actually my main aim tonight is to help you see God better. So how about I pray towards that aim? Father, we thank you that you are a God who wants to be known, 
and acts to be known and reveals yourself to us. And we pray that as we hear you speak in your word tonight, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that we would know you more deeply and that we would obey you and trust you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Where is God when you feel forgotten? Well, point one, God is dangerously close. Now, we're in Exodus 3, that first reading, uh, verses 1 to 10 in this point. Uh, Have it open if you've got a Bible there. And as you're flicking there, remember that the story of Exodus is a sequel to Genesis. We are tracking along God's promises to Abraham. Last week, we saw chapter 1, two themes intertwine, growth and groaning. Israel multiply, they expand quickly, and they become a threat and are enslaved in Egypt. In chapter 2, we saw the birth story of Moses, a saviour is saved. And then we heard a moment ago that Acts 7 reading, which actually nicely summarises the rest of Exodus chapter 2, Moses being rejected by his own people and by the Egyptians. He goes from being hero, the prince, to zero and ends up a forgotten nobody in Midian. And chapter 2 closes with God's people crying out to God, remember us. And we're told God hears, He remembers, He sees, and He knows. Well, that gets us up to today. Chapter 3 from verse 1, let me read it to you. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of of God. Uh, it's the same mountain that will later be called Sinai, uh, where God will later reveal Himself to Israel. And you might have noticed this, that, that Moses, throughout these first four chapters of the book, is almost like he's going through the journey before Israel goes through it themselves. He, where is he? He's in the wilderness. How long is he there for? Forty years. What happens here? He meets God with fire. Well, verse 2, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Uh, When we got home from church, uh, Archie showed me his picture from Noah's. Uh, Thank you to the Noah's leaders. And I said, oh, that looks like Moses in the burning bush. And being the good uh, budding theologian that Archie is, he said, no, the bush wasn't burning, which is exactly right. This is a story about Moses and the bush on fire that wasn't burning. If you've got a subtitle in your Bible, it's probably wrong. Uh, Which is really the point, because at the precise time when Moses no doubt felt forgotten and probably useless, and we work it out from Acts 7, uh, that reading we heard earlier, that he's 80 years at this point, 40 plus 40, we know he dies at 120. That's when God chooses to grab his attention. It's only now that he's become humbled, only now that he's a nobody, that he's prepared for being God's servant leader, ready to be sent. Uh, which, just as an aside, you might be an older person here, and uh, you can self-select, uh, but you may not be, you may just be in a season where at times you feel a little forgotten, maybe a little useless, maybe a little like Moses felt. And I just want to remind you, remember, in God's eyes, in God's hands, He might actually have you exactly where He wants you to be, to be useful for His purposes. 
Or if that's you, you want to be more useful for the purposes of God in this world, three things. One, ask Him. I love that word in James. You do not have because you do not ask. Second, be willing to re-engage as God's servant. But, remember, re-engaging as God's servant means He's in charge. And third, remember too, Moses was 80. He wasn't beyond it. In fact, he had 40 years to go and God would sustain him in it too. Well, God, we see, takes the initiative to get Moses' attention through flames of fire to reveal himself personally to him, uh, which actually reminds us back to the last time God appeared in fire. And so I want you to uh, do a task. If you've got a Bible there, come back with me. Genesis 15, I didn't put it on the slides so that you could flick back at this moment. Genesis 15, and I'm going to pick it up from verse 12, and I'll give you a second to get there. Really key chapters in God's relationship with Abraham come in chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 17. But I'm reading from verse 12 in chapter 15. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch, appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, a land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. It's like one test. Well, it's a really key passage. Our background are Exodus 3 and 4. That reminds us God hasn't forgotten His people. It's the last time He appeared in fire. And it's just a bit of a trigger. And I bring it up because in this passage, we'll see a few times the the ites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, etc. come up. And the point is, right back there, 400 years ago, when God was talking to Abram that night, He knew exactly the plan that was going to happen to His people. The timing, the location, and the journey that lay ahead of them too. God's never caught off guard. But it's also in Exodus 3, it points us forward to uh, later on in the story when God will lead his people by cloud with a pillar of uh, fire and smoke, a cloud of smoke in the day. We're in the wilderness. So pick it up with me from verse 4 in Exodus 3. When the Lord saw that he had gone over the look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Reminds me of a time, uh, some time ago, I was quoted in the Sydney Morning Herald, the only time it's happened that I'm aware of, uh, 13 years ago, back in 2009. And the title to the article read, Watch out, 25 metre crater in Bellevue Hill Road. 
the article began. Sydney Water was notified of a ruptured water main at least twice in the days leading up to a landslide that swallowed up two cars, a tree and a power pole in the eastern suburbs last night. Now, a little later in the article, resident Seb Lane said the gas leak was so loud last night that he thought a helicopter was flying overhead. I whipped out my phone to take some pictures and the policeman said, I hope you've got life insurance and recommended I put it away and go home and turn off the electricity. In other words, like Moses, get back. Don't come any closer. It's not safe at all. Oh, it's just interesting, isn't it? How in this episode, it's very famous in Exodus and in the whole Bible. God draws Moses in. He attracts him. He calls him twice, knows his name. And at the very same time as Moses does get close, he warns him, come no further. The ground is holy because God is holy. He's not like us. God's not like us. Just to be in his presence is dangerous. A writer of the Hebrews, a letter of the Hebrews puts it like this, our God is a consuming fire. And notice as well, the God who's not like us does also draw near. And it is quite a mysterious appearance, isn't it? In verse 3, we're told it was the angel of the Lord who appeared in the bush. In the original, the word for angel is the same word for messenger. So it could also translate, the messenger of the Lord appeared. But in verse 4, what's more curious is how we're also told that it was God who called from the bush. Uh, which is strange, but not unique. We've seen this angel of the Lord figure, if you've been reading through Genesis before, in chapter 16 with Hagar, for example, and he's going to appear elsewhere in uh, Judges with Gideon and throughout different parts of the Old Testament. But on a few of these occasions, it's like we're told the angel of the Lord appeared only to discover a moment later it was the Lord himself. And it's sort of the Bible's way of reminding us that God does come dangerously close. And yet at the same time, at the very moment when you think you're face to face with God, you discover he's still cloaked. He's still far greater than you think. And it's almost like this theme, this tension, these passages that puzzle us. uh, They're just thematically pointing us forward, preparing us in a way for uh, the word who was with God and was God. And so it's no surprise to see Moses hiding his face at the end of verse 6. Because why? He was afraid to look at God. God is dangerously close. And yet, he's also wonderfully near. Has God forgotten his people? Have a look at verse 7. In his own words, he says again, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. And literally, I know about their suffering. He sees, he hears, he knows. And in verses 8 and 9, he is ready to act. Well, how does God act? What's his pattern? I have come down to bring them up into the land of promise, into their inheritance. Uh, You might be here tonight and you are unfamiliar with the Christian message. Uh, Maybe you think that being a Christian is basically all about trying harder. Uh, Maybe you think it is mainly about you trying to get up to God's standard and be good enough in His books. And that is exactly opposite and wrong. You can't be good enough for God. You can't be good enough for God. God is so holy and perfect and we are so not. 
and it doesn't take very long at all to just reflect on your life and go, that is true. As we see in Exodus, as we see throughout the message of the Bible, God's plan is a plan of rescue. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what we need most, is a God who takes the initiative to come down. It's about a God who later sends His Son to come down. The Lord Jesus comes and dies in our place on a cross, because that's what we need most. To be rescued from sin, not from slavery, but from a different slavery, from sin, from death, that's a slavery, and from God's judgment as a holy God. And what does he do? He doesn't just come down and grab us. He brings us up, which is why Jesus was risen from the dead, to bring his people up in promise we wait, that there is life beyond this, beyond death. And what does he do? He brings his people into his kingdom. That's the very heart of the Christian message. Not try harder, not be better, not be a more good person. It's God coming down to bring us up in rescue. And we see it here right from the story in Exodus. But the real clincher for Moses, up until this point, he's been nodding his head, God, this plan plan sounds great. You haven't forgotten us. And then he gets to verse 10, where he's told the game plan, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Or in other words, where is God when you feel forgotten? He's at work through his servant to deliver his children into their promised inheritance. Uh, which brings us, secondly, to point two. God is making himself known. Now, it's a big section here, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, all the way through to 4.17. We're going to move quickly, and we'll see in response to God's great commissioning of Moses that Moses is not exactly an eager leader. Uh, it's more like being in a courtroom, objection, objection, objection. And we're not in a courtroom, but there's just that idea that Moses throws up five times an objection to God's plan. Have a look at the first one in verse 11. Well, Moses asks, who am I? Who am I for this great task? I'm a nobody, Lord. I'm a shepherd in Midian. And God's answer back is simple. I will be with you. I don't know if you've ever felt completely inadequate for a task. I feel that way often. Who am I to speak up front? Uh, Maybe for you, who am I to lead music? Who am I to give an introduction to a song? Who am I to lead in prayers? Who am I to teach a scripture class? Who am I to co-host a service? Who am I to lead a Bible study? Who am I to lead in creche? Who am I to lead a kids group? Who am I to lead in youth? Who am I to invite someone to church on a Sunday? And what's God's answer? It is not important who you are. What really matters is who's with you. And doesn't that just shift your view a little about how you serve, how you think about serving here? I find it very comforting. It's not about who I am. It's about who's with me as I serve. Well, second, we go from who am I, Lord, to who are you? And verse 13, what if the Israelites ask me your name? Moses wants to know, what name are you sending me with? And it's not quite uh, like God's name tag. I'm missing mine. I was at 4 p.m. and EC and I didn't get mine. I'm sorry, Mandy. But it's not just a name tag for God. It's not just his label. It's his very character. And God answers back in verse 14, I am 
who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Uh, which is a little confusing, isn't it? Now you've got to concentrate this next part. And that's because the name God gives Moses, just to be technical for a moment, is based on the verb to be. Hayah is the word, to be. Uh, we use it all the time. I am, you are, he, she, it is. Which also makes it a very flexible word. And so there's actually some ambiguity in the name that God gives Moses here. Uh, You could potentially translate the name here as I was, I am, or I will be, or even a mixture of the two or three. There's a certain timelessness to it. He's the eternal God, past, present, and future. Uh, But remember later in the gospel stories uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus is being opposed and rejected by Jewish opponents. And what does he say? Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they knew the claim he was making. They bent down, picked up stones, ready to stone him for his blasphemy. Uh, Some of you, if you've got your Bibles open, might have a footnote that suggests a possible alternative translation. I will be what I will be. Uh, Which does actually fit the context a little better. In verse 12, God's just said, I will be with you. In other words, the name here he gives, it may emphasize his existence, I am. Uh, Or it may also flexibly point us to his future presence that he's promising. I will be. And isn't that what we're about to see in the chapters that follow? Example, in Exodus 7 verse 5, the Lord says, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. God is making himself known to Moses here in his name, but he's also saying, watch what I will be in my action. Well, verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord. And so just to explain, you've got capital letters, Lord, L-O-R-D, all throughout your Old Testament. And every time you see the capital letters, Lord, uh, it's standing there in in position uh, for a particular Hebrew word. And uh, in the Hebrew language, uh, when the Old Testament was written, Uh, It was just consonants, there weren't vowels, the vowels were added later, and you get the four letters, uh, W-H-Y-W-H, sorry, Y-H-W-H. That's God's proper name in the Hebrew sort of transliterated uh, word. It's God's proper name, and it's probably pronounced Yahweh, uh, but we can't be sure, and that's because those vowel points came in later, and the Jews were very concerned not to use the Lord's name in vain, uh, and so they... and. I won't go, won't go into it further, but there's, there, it's probably Yahweh. But the big point is, here we see in the giving of God's name that God desires to make himself known. By giving his name, he's inviting his people to be in relationship with him. But not just any relationship with him, a relationship based on his covenant. Uh, which is why throughout this section, why I got you to read uh, Genesis 15 earlier, you get repeated again and again... I'm the God of your fathers, Yahweh. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He keeps bringing up the land, the land, the land. Moses told him, that's the God who's sending you. And that list of ites is just to remind us, yeah, it's that promise to Abraham. Well, thirdly, again, Moses says, objection at the start of chapter 4. What if they don't believe me? 
And God's answer back to Moses is to give him three different signs. His staff becomes a snake and then back again. His hand becomes leprous or flaky and then is healthy again. And the third one isn't performed, it's just promised. If they don't believe those two, I'll turn water, the water from the Nile, the river of life into blood. Well, fourthly, chapter 4, verse 10, Moses objects again, Lord, I'm not very eloquent. I can't speak very well. Uh, Which is interesting because during this conversation with God, he's doing pretty well so far. And God's answer is, I made you. I'm in charge of mouths and ears and eyes. Now go, verse 12. But fifthly and finally, verse 13, Moses just says, Lord, please send someone else. In other words, Moses says, God, just forget about me. But God absolutely won't. Why? Because God is making himself known. And this time, this fifth response, God gets angry. His anger burns at Moses. His stubbornness, his cowardice. But, but it ends on a note of his mercy as he allows for Aaron, his brother, to speak on his behalf too. Why? Because we're seeing that God's at work through his servant to deliver his children into their promised inheritance. And so, well, finally and briefly, where is God when you feel forgotten? Point three, he's acting in unexpected ways. And so let's finish off chapter four with five characters. Firstly, notice Jethro, verse 18, how Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, wishes him well on hearing about his plans to return to Egypt. And that's the first sort of unexpected thing. You sort of think, uh, if I suggested to my father-in-law, I'm I'm taking your grandchildren and your daughter to a a land that's foreign, uh, it wouldn't go down so well. Uh, In Genesis, when Jacob was with Laban, his father-in-law, his uncle, it was hard to get away from Laban. And yet here the Lord's merciful and kind, and we'll see Jethro again later in the story. Well, secondly, verses 19 to 23, uh, second character, Pharaoh. The Lord gives further instruction to Moses about what to expect coming up. And in verse 21, we get a hint of what's to come. All the wonders. But notice, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Which raises a question, doesn't it? What's with the hardening heart here? And we'll wrestle with it more in coming weeks, and I won't spoil Dave's thunder, so listen up. But at the very least, God is acting in an unexpected way here, and he tells us what he'll do in advance. Well, thirdly, third character, Israel. We're told ahead of time, aren't we, about what's to come in verses 22 and 23. Let me read it to you. Tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Now, I don't know if you're expecting God to act in this way. There's something about as we read God in the uh, stories of Exodus and Genesis and the Old Testament and the New Testament, where he doesn't always act in the way we expect. One writer puts it like this, if your God never disagrees with you, well, he may just be a God of your imaginings. And it is challenging here, isn't it? That's why we come and read through the Bible and see what has God actually said? How has He revealed Himself? Well, we're pointed forward to the Passover, which we'll see in a few weeks' time, the death of the firstborn, and it reminds us when was there another firstborn who was almost sacrificed? 
back in the story of Abraham with his promised son Isaac, and that was unexpected back then too. And the point here is that God is identifying Israel, his covenantal people, as being in a special relationship with him. They're my firstborn son. And the idea of the firstborn in the ancient world, a little lost on us, but it's the, it's got, it carries the baggage of inheritance. The one who will inherit, that's the firstborn. And fourthly, the character of the Lord. And this is perhaps the strangest scene of all. In verses 24 to 26, chances are you haven't heard a talk on this, so let me read it out. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses. Literally, it's he met him. And uh, the NIV takes it that it's Moses. So it could also be one of Moses' two sons. And was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Well, once more, God acts in an unexpected way. And it's a couple of verses that raise all sorts of questions, and I'm glad we don't have Q&A. Many we don't have time to tackle right now, but I will just say a couple of words and just say that right at this point, where we're being reminded that Moses is being sent out as God's servant on his mission, It's almost like we're also being warned and he's being warned, don't be presumptuous. God's just been sharing with Moses about his firstborn son and it's almost as if he then looks at Moses and sees his own disobedience with his firstborn son, not keeping his covenant of circumcision. And that angers him and it's as if to just remind us God's not like us. He's holy and powerful and disobedience and sin anger him. And Moses gets a brief taste of what Pharaoh is soon going to find out. That in judgment, without the blood of another, God is dangerous too. And the fifth character, just briefly, remember Moses was expecting rejection from the elders of Israel and God in his kindness The elders accept his message. They receive it as a message from the Lord. Well, finally, I want to finish and take you forward to just one last unexpected act of God. And it comes right at the very end of Moses' life. Uh, It's just three verses from Deuteronomy chapter 34, starting from verse 5. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Did you notice who buried Moses on the mountain? The Lord. Unexpected, it's tender. I remember spotting that and realizing it and it's moving. The Lord buries his servant Moses. Why? Because, as the psalmist puts it, because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. How do we know it? Because even in death, God remembers us. Through the death of his own firstborn son and the blood of the new covenant. How can I be sure? Because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so as we close... Where is God when you feel forgotten? 
is at work through his servant to deliver his children into their promised inheritance. Let me pray for us. Father, you are a great God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you that you desire to make yourself known. We praise you for your holiness. We marvel at your grace to draw near to us. We thank you that in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can draw near as children of yours, adopted into your family with privileges and a hope of an inheritance to come. We thank you for your faithfulness to your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.